Welcome to WP Tonic Roundtable Podcast, where a panel of leading WordPress junkies discusses the latest WordPress and internet stories of the week. Now, on with the show with your moderator, Jonathan Denwood. Welcome back, folks, to the WP Tonic Roundtable Show. This is episode 527. We record this every Friday at 8.30 a.m. Pacific Standard Time or around that time. I've been having some slight technical problems had a blowout yesterday. My great co-host saved the ship, and then I've had some trouble this morning. I, I, I do not know. Is that a sign of decline, like the nation? I do not know. Um, but we continue, like the virus itself. Uh, um, so on we got. We've got some great stories, got a great panel. I'm going to let my great co-host of the Thursday show introduce himself. Adrian, would you like to quickly introduce yourself? My name is Adrian. I am the CEO and founder of Groundhog. We help small businesses that use WordPress launch their funnel, grow their list, and scale their business. Your mic That's, is out. Your mic's out. I don't think your mic's working, actually, Adrian. Um, Stephen. Oh. Yeah, that sounds a little bit better. Um, Stephen, would you like to quickly introduce yourself? Yeah, Stephen Satter from Zipfish.io. We make WordPress fast by optimizing servers and code. That's great. Um, I've got my friend, John. Would you like to introduce yourself, John Locke? John Locke, and I do SEO for industrial and manufacturing firms. That's great. And I've got my friend Spencer. Spencer, would you like to introduce yourself? Spencer Foreman from launchflows.com. Right, there we go. So um, before we go into the main stories, I want to talk about one of our great sponsors, and that's Kinster Hosting. Kinster Hosting only hosts WordPress websites. They've been doing that for a number of years. They offer a quality service. Um, they use Google Cloud as their backbone, um, so you get superb speed and reliability. They offer great UX design, great support, great everything, basically. So if you've got a client that's got a WooCommerce website, got a learning management system, and they need something with a bit of oomph to it, or you might need that, I suggest that you go over to Kinster, have a look at their plans buy one of them, and also tell them that you heard about them on the WP Tonic show. They're just a great company. So, on to the first story. iThemes has required uh, Restricted Content Pro from Sandhills Development. What did you think of this one, John? Yeah, so this one caught me by surprise. I was a little um, shocked that they uh, gave up Restricted Content Pro. I've used this on sites before. Uh, it works really well. But what they said was uh, very interesting. They said that um, by letting this plugin go, they could focus on the plugins that are making them even more money. And this plugin is actually, you know, making a, quite a bit of revenue. But their main plugins, um, Easy Digital Downloads and Affiliate WP, uh, they said this actually was like freeing up or basically like hiring uh, developers to work on on those. Uh, so those plugins are making even more money uh, than, than this one. So Pippin's a very smart guy. Um, so I think this is a great strategic decision. And, uh, you know, iThemes is a good home for it. Uh, they have a talented staff. So I congratulations to everyone involved. They have to get them back on the main show again and... Adrian can just interview him and that'd be great. Um, Spencer, um, 
I think, yeah, I think I think it's the, the reasons they give seem to be. It, I wouldn't say it was the bastard child, but I think they were a bit more focused on the other plugins, weren't they? Uh, Pippin is done an interview or two recently where they talked about all the businesses in the lines of products as well as the brewery and his own burnout and hiring a team. And um, this is a guess, but based on what he said and based upon the fact that he's also, we have interaction with him through WP Fusion and so forth, I would say it's probably a matter of seeing that the opportunities and the other plugins were more aligned with what they're doing and that this one was already covered by other services. Uh, not the least to which Jack's plugin, but the idea of doing restricting content is in some ways done better by a tag-based system that works with your CRM than it is to have an exclusive plugin. So maybe that was the estimation he made, which was, hey, you can do this other ways. We can align our other stuff. And I know he's always been talking about how quickly things exploded, which gave him a sense of like, uh, wow, got to streamline and simplify and even pull himself out of the business to avoid burnout. It's, it's It's hard to keep that many irons in the fire if they're not in alignment. Especially when they're growing and you've got a lot of stuff in your plate, yeah. you can just feel right. overwhelmed, can't you? It's a nice feeling. <laughs> uh, um, so, um, Stephen, what did you think? Uh, not to just reiterate what everybody else said, I think the, one of the most interesting points is that like, you're making $500,000 a year in recurring revenue, which I was really impressed by kind of, uh, riffing off of what Spencer was saying, that there's a lot of other plugins that have kind of been solving this problem. They were one of the early guys to market, but that they're continuing to make that recurring revenue over and over again. Um, I think it's pretty impressive. Um, but I, I get the acquisition. I think it makes sense. Uh, I I love what Sand Hills does. I think they have some pretty cool software out there that's usually always rock solid. Um, so it'll be interesting to see where this goes, but I theme is a good home for it. They do good stuff over there too. So, um, Adrian, what did you think? And I also think it was fascinating with our interview, or before the gods cut me off, Adrian. Um, you know, we were, we were um, in, I partially knew fully interviewing Corey from iThemes, the founder, um, and he was talking about Exchange. And I thought that was a superb plug-in. Um, uh, but it's just, it's just really odd that they just couldn't get any traction with that. But then, you know, like what Stephen says, you got, you know, he's got half a million recurring revenue. It's it's really strange how some things work and some things don't, do they? I think the, you know, part part of the thing, well, one of the issues that we went into deep with Corey and and, and iThemes Exchange was that uh, they were they were going from product out rather than customer out and, and solving product problems instead of customers' problems. Or they might have been solving customers' problems, but that's not that wasn't their focus. And, and the mentality often is what causes products to either succeed or fail. Um, and he would decide. Yeah, can I just in, can I just interrupt slightly? I'm not trying to be rude, but I was thinking about it last night. Do you think one of the problems? was that they were facing a product that was trying to sell, like, WooCommerce. It's free. It was never free because you had to buy all these add-ons you always had. But do you think that was might be one of the problems they were having? They were facing uh, WooCommerce and it's saying all the time free. And in exchange, you always had to pay to use. I don't... I don't I mean, I can only speak from my own experience and my own experience based on what I talked with Corey is that 
they, they tried to tackle too much. They tried to bite off. They bite, basically just tried to be blue commerce, but different. Right. And okay, that's fair. But how does that, how does being different than blue commerce actually benefit yeah. the customer? Right. What, what actually makes you worthwhile working with versus WooCommerce if you just both do the same thing and WooCommerce is bigger and has more resources and all of these different things. Right. That's the value of niching down. And I think Restrict Content Pro, as one of the first early adopters, actually was able to niche down. Their, their core audience is actually just in the name. It's people who just want to restrict content right on their site quick simple dirty we'll get it done right it's 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 in the name itself uh, and i think that their audience then the type of people that use restricted content for reflect that i signed up for a membership platform with Corey yesterday and he uses restrict content pro for his membership and he has like four pages on his website to do what well restrict those four pages so i think the the dichotomy there is 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 visible one con- one one product was clearly able to niche down and define the, the type of people who would be able to actually benefit from their product. If you need to restrict content on your website, this is the product that you're going to need. It's in the name, done. I think exchange on the other hand, it's like, well, what is exchange? What does that mean? Are you tackling the whole e-commerce problem? How many ways are you doing e-commerce? What types of business would benefit from doing e-commerce the way that you're doing it? Are you basically just like WooCommerce but different? Then why would I bother using you if WooCommerce is cheaper and yada, yada, yada. The story goes on and on and on and on, right? So on, 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 on a side note, on the actual acquisition view point of it, you know, obviously congratulations are in order. Econ or membership. Right, online learning and membership are probably the two biggest growing sectors in WordPress right now, because you know COVID, and people are going to want to continue to produce resources online and need a way to collect money and protect those resources online. So their acquisition of this is absolutely super strategic, and you know Pippin has other ways of ensuring that they get to be part of the conversation by doing EDD and, and affiliate WP and still being highly tied into all of the various different membership and e-commerce platforms out there. So I think it's a win-win all around. They get to focus more resources on a, on, on a product that is not their largest revenue generator. And we get to see a fairly large dev shop uh, breathe some new life into an adored plugin and continue to see people being able to restrict content easily. Yeah, rightly put. On to the next story, I think. Um, Apple, Google, Amazon respond to European tech taxes by passing on costs. What do you think of this one, Spencer? I think it's just an interesting example of where, you know, I am the guy who loves to use Amazon, and we were just choking around before the show that I have a more hate than love, but a love-hate with Apple and what they've been doing lately. But just an example of how these five to seven major companies are really the the oil and the railroad robber barons of the last century. I mean, they are empowered to essentially thumb their nose at, at full governments, let alone individuals. So right to repair, your privacy, interference with governments. Oh, tax us. We'll show you what we'll do. We'll just pass it along to everybody in Europe. They're literally out of control in that sense because everybody has bent over and told them, we'll give you the world, just, you know, make... Make this happen for our city, state, country, whatever. And now we're reaping the results of that, aren't we? Uh, I don't find this illogical, 
because the politics of America right now are illogical. But I do find this very transparent that this is not good for anybody that what they're doing. And, you know, this is hand in hand with Apple's battle with Epic and all the other stuff with the, the store. So we're seeing them flex their muscles. And good luck to anybody who stops Bezos. I mean, we're hoping he's a benevolent dictator at this point, but he's the richest man on the planet with enough money every day to he's, buy. He's, concentrate, he's concentrating on Mars. He, let's it. hope. But I mean, just, I want you to imagine for a second, because John, can, Jonathan can speak to this more clearly. Why does I say Jonathan Denwith, Jonathan Denwith? Why does I say it? But John will say, John Locke will say more about this, but I've been following all of his stuff. And I feel similarly that what's happened is our society has been hijacked a bit by the technology and the underlying powers that be. And we've always been able to overcome that by sheer numbers or force of will or another nation that was benevolent. But it's very quickly becoming obvious that if we allow those forces to be to get this much control over the underlying ways that things work, if a Bezos goes rogue, like some of our politicians do, I mean, you're talking real, you know, Dr. Evil stuff going on. So it does concern me. I don't lose sleep over it, but it concerns me to the level of like, we're still at the stage where it could go either way. So I think we should address it in the way that even those in the 1890s did with the the Sherman and the Clayton antitrust. They took away (coughs) monopolies. They took away the railroad and oil and other. Mm. In the 80s, we dicked around with this with the airlines and so forth. And not all of those things work, but at least it demonstrates that it's like, hello, you're, you're taking our money to do what you do. We still have a say if we just band together. That's why they divide us, by the way. The divisiveness of today is to make sure that we're all fighting amongst ourselves so they can... Politics, well, that's always that's divide and rule has always been in the playbook. Uh, um, so, um, actually, I, I would surprise me if one of the major tech owners did enter the political... I think they've been looking at it anyway, Bezo, uh, Matt. Uh, I think they've all been looking at it, um, and I wouldn't be that surprised. Um, too late now, but... Um, Bill Gates addressed that, by the way, once, and he said the most coherent answer, which I would say is why they won't go into that. Bill Gates said he has enough money and influence that he can do anything he wants if he wants to do it. If he becomes a politician, he's just essentially handcuffed himself. So I don't yeah. think they're going to be political. They will use the yeah, political... Yeah, good point. These politicians are cheap. They'll use the political influence they have by throwing their money at politicians, but they stay yeah. in the background. That's how it works. You can buy them for 100 grand. You know, what's 100 grand to Bezo? You know, it's just, just a piss in the pool, isn't it? You know. Uh, um, so what do you reckon, Stephen? When, when you live in a world that, like, embraces capitalism, right, like... There's nothing that you can do from a monetary standpoint to penalize a custom a, a, a to penalize a company if you have a system where there's these um, almost like monopolistic sort of structures. Because what else is somebody going to do if both Apple and Google decides to raise their rates? What other platform are you going to go to? Like you have you have those two choices. Um, I I think like the big key to disrupting this is to figure out ways that you can create other channels and other sources. Like as, as Amazon gets bigger, as Google gets bigger, as Apple gets bigger, 
like how can other people play in the space? Um, something that I think is really interesting is how successful Roku has been at kind of keeping their little niche of connected TV devices um, going. Like I'm surprised they're still around, but I think if I haven't really looked into it that hard, but if you could look at that model and see like how was Roku, like they were kind of the first guys out there with a smart TV that you can plug and play. So they had like the first to market, but for being such a small little company, they have done an exceptional job at fighting back Apple and Google. And that's what we need to see more, I think, in devices, in um, in all of in e-commerce, in all of these different sectors is how can small people play bigger roles? And I think like WooCommerce does something in there, right? Like allowing people to set, set up their own stores. Shopify does that. Um, and then Google comes on and starts serving up, you know, buy now at these at these stores, right, right about right below the search bar. And all of a sudden that's cutting into Amazon revenue. So there's, I think there's some really interesting things that are happening out there as these big giants are fighting each other. But like, it's the small technologies that I think is important to keep investing in to try to combat these large companies that can just funnel pricing down to the end consumer at the end of the day. Yeah, it is difficult. It is messy. Yeah. I think you made some excellent points there, Stephen. What do you reckon, John? Yeah, Google is very close to, I mean, you can almost literally say that they're practically a monopoly. There are other search engines, but they really don't have market share. Um, Bing is the closest one. The other ones really have almost nothing. Um, I, what I don't understand, John, is that yeah. we, had, we had this with um, in Britain, especially in America, you had yeah. this with electricity. You know, electricity for a while was seen as a luxury. And then it was seen for the national good, it was essential to um, offer electricity to everybody in America. And, you know, it was decided that it was a necessity in the end that you should have electricity. Mm. And so then, then you, you can't duplicate the electrical system, like have free electrical systems. So basically you just allowed a monopoly, but a highly regulated one, didn't you? Well, the, that's the problem. What regulation is there on the tech companies? What regulation really is there I mean, Amazon probably has the most regulation, but I mean, they're, I mean, most people use Amazon. I mean, but there's literally no regulation on Google or Facebook or some of these other social networks. They do whatever the heck they want. I mean, Europe has tried to uh, put some regulation on Google. That's, you know, they've, they've had some, but, you know, the, the lawmakers here are, basically incentivized by the lobbyists for big tech to make sure that there is no regulation because a lot of the the GDP that is coming out of the United States right now is from Silicon Valley and it's from the tech sector. So the lawmakers are really going to be reticent to, to introduce any legislation as far as that. But the one thing, as Stephen and Spencer pointed out, Support the smaller uh, businesses and the smaller uh, digital platforms to where these things are not a complete monopoly. Mm-hmm. Buy somewhere that's not Amazon. You don't have to, you know, put all your information 
uh, through Facebook or or Google necessarily. So that's great. Uh, well, you're at, what, what oh, you were to what John said, which is not really to say more, but uh, last time or the time before I mentioned that I have a friend, who, uh, a very nice guy, but who believes that like companies such as Amazon should not be taxed, that it's okay that they have offshore company. His, his 401k is invested in companies like that. It's just a narrow-minded view. But what I was going to say is that there's no practical way at this point for a small company to overtake a Google and Apple and Amazon. What has to happen is they have to be cut off at the knees either through regulation or through taxation and regulation. It has to be the strength of will to say, look, if you looked at the Dow Jones or the top seven, whatever, yes, sorry, investors, but like these guys now have exceeded the boundaries of normal competition and therefore we have to level the playing field in some way. And that takes a political will that is not common. I mean, it, it literally takes a, a Roosevelt type character to come along and do something like that. I think maybe like in the short, in the, in the short term, Sorry. Uh, in, in the short term, you need regulation if you want to like overthrow these large companies. But like history has shown that those who are the most powerful eventually become unpowerful due to something. And what that is, is always a change in technology or a re- revolution or the sway of public opinion. And I think we're seeing some of that going on right now, but it's going to take a long time. Um, I think there's also like some sleeping giants in the wing that we haven't really like seen what they're capable of. Like let's take um, Walmart, for example, like the amount of revenue that they do over Amazon is staggering and they just haven't moved into the e-commerce space. The way that Amazon has is because the profit margins aren't in e-commerce, right? They can make far larger profit margins by doing their brick and mortar stores still, but they just like started talking about uh, uh, their plus subscription or whatever. I haven't like looked into that too much yet, but they're starting to move into that. And as soon as they decide to start putting all of their resources into e-commerce, like now all of a sudden you have this huge other giant that can possibly make a huge difference in the space, which then you have a fraction. And whenever there's a, there's a fact fraction, like that gives space for a small guy to kind of work their way up somewhere and start carving out part of the thing. So I think as time goes on, we'll see things like change. And I don't know if regulation is necessarily needed unless we say that we need a change immediately. And if we need a change immediately, then you have to go the regulation route. Well, what, what, what I will take care of it. A bigger player. If, you, if you cracked the egg on the shell of uh, Google, right? What could happen is a big enough player like a Bing or a second a tertiary company who has the resources could come in more than, although I love their company, DuckDuckGo. I mean, that's just like not going to happen. DuckDuckGo is going to come in and take over Google. But a Microsoft or another company. Now, is that replacing one problem with another? I don't know. Maybe. But the problem is it could also open up that an unrelated company, a disruptor, like a Elon Musk's uh, kind of company could come in. But you need to essentially remove the barriers <coughs> from monopoly, either financially or otherwise. That's what happened with the railroads. They literally said... No, you cannot have control over all of the railroad lines, even if you built them. And we see this now with the cable companies, the phone companies. In the city of Chicago, those wires have to be made available to everybody. They still screw with the competitors and even the gas lines, but at least it's there. Yeah, what what do you reckon, Adrian, just to finish off? I I guess they just think and bite me. I don't know. What was that? I guess they're just thinking, bite me. 
Anyway, I think we should move on. All right. Yeah, that's his statement. Well, we're going to go for a break. And when we come back, we've got a couple more stories. We'll be back in a few moments. Are you a WordPress consultant, designer, or small digital agency owner? Then you need WP Tonic as your trusted white-label developer partner for your next big e-learning or WooCommerce project. WP Tonic has the knowledge to help you build out custom functionality that your clients need in LearnDash, Lifter LMS, and WooCommerce. WP Tonic is well-known and trusted in the WordPress community. They stand behind their work with a full, no-question-asked, 30-day money-back guarantee. So don't delay. Find out how WP Tonic's white-label services can help your agency today. Go to wp-tonic.com's homepage and book a free consultation with Jonathan. That's wp-tonic, just like the podcast. We're coming back. Before going on the other stories, I want to go on one of our other sponsors, and that's Groundhog. Thanks, Groundhog, for deciding to become a sponsor of the WP Tonic Show. It's well appreciated. What is Groundhog? Groundhog is a native CRM for WordPress that uh, that deals with email and automation, especially automation. If you're looking for a powerful um, plugin that can do that, plus uh, easy use usable interface, Groundhog is your solution. And it's been needed for quite a long time in the quiver of WordPress essential plugins. And Agent and his team have managed to do that. I highly recommend it. Go over to Groundhog, have a look at what they've got to offer. I'm sure you're going to want to buy one of their packages. So off off we go um, on story three. Founder Yoast SEO takes a stake in Worldpool. What did you reckon of this one, uh, John? All right, yeah. I mean, this sounds really cool, timestamping via blockchain. But uh, this article has some things wrong, and I just want to point them out. I'm not taken away from the fact that this is this seems to be a really cool plugin, but there's uh, two things that are said in this article, I believe, or maybe it's the article that it links to about the word proof. But, uh, okay, if you change the timestamp, on your post, that's not going to help you in SEO. If you make your post more recent, it's not going to help you in SEO. Second thing, they're saying that this will help um, prove that duplicate content or like I, I published this first. You stole my thing because here's a blockchain thing that says, here's when I published it. So yours is duplicate content of mine. So I should rank higher. That is what they hope that duplicate content will be in the future. But that is, I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt, that is not how duplicate content works right now. Does not work like that at all. In most cases, um, how Google decides what to rank highest in duplicate content, it really comes down to what site, we'll, we'll say domain authority, or like most links or whatever, best link profile. But that's generally how it works. The most authoritative site that has the content is going to be the one that ranks the highest. That is currently how duplicate content works. Now, if it went to something where Google, if a bunch of sites adopted this blockchain thing, and you could say like, we published this first or whatever, that might be. But Google's been saying since 2008 
that they want to rank big brands and they want to push those the most because as the CEO, the then CEO said, this is how you sort out the cesspool and deal with billions of web pages. And to, to finish off, you know how much duplicate content is out there on the web? Like two thirds of the web is duplicate content. Google really cannot sort out, you know, who published this first, it deserves to rank the highest. It's, that's not how it works at all. So, but congratulations to Yoast. I mean, it seems like it's a good product. You know, um, it seems like they have another, they have a, another product, this WordProof thing. They have a structured um, data that, that also uses the blockchain. So, you know, I would love to, you know, if Google does go to something like that, that'll probably help. But as far as sorting through billions and billions and billions of web pages, it's not practical to just say like this was published first and it should rank highest just because it's, okay. it doesn't go by the combination of words. It just doesn't. Anyway. Right, so, I, right, for Adrian, have you got something to say about this story? Um, thanks, John. <laughs> uh, I mean, beyond beyond whether it's uh, the, I mean, I, I'm not an SEO expert, so I, I I can't substantiate or unsubstantiate claims at all. However, it, I mean, it looks cool, and the product itself, WordProof, looks cool from the fact that you know, so social proof and like verified authority. You know, if you're ever on like a payment page or on the Shopify checkout page, they have like the powered by Shopify or the secured by Shopify, or maybe like McAfee secure logo. And whether people under, actually understand what that means or not, it seems to make them feel better about continuing the checkout process. And this is basically like a McAfee secure icon for content. Basically, it's like, you know, the, this authority, which you may or may not understand what it actually does, is verified that this content, and that it was originally written by this, this and this author and that the time or that the content or the, here's how the content has changed over time. So if it said something in the morning and now it says something a bit later, you can actually verify that. Uh, so it's, it's basically like a McAfee secure button for, for content, which is a really neat concept considering that a lot of people don't trust a lot of stuff on the internet these days. Um, to the point about, I mean, duplicate content, I mean, I, I don't see Google choosing to say if you published it first you get ranked first because at the end of the day google's what matters most to google is the user experience and they're just going to provide the traffic who to whoever provides the best user experience and the people who generally provide a better user experience are those larger companies with larger resources to build better web experiences so that people can get to the crux of the issue faster. I see where you're that's coming not from. a rule i see where you I see where you're coming from that, Adrian, but as soon as you were saying that, you know, like go to a large newspaper site or, you know, you know, they've got, you know, or some other sites, you know, they've got, they can have banners all over, over them, like a, a rash. So you don't, well, the monet, the interest at that point is, is not, is, is, is not user experience. At that point it's monetary. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's a monetary interest, which also counts. So monet, so I guess it would go monetary user experience and then yeah. everybody else. Right. So yeah, you know, for profit company at the end of the day, but yeah, I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm with John. I don't, I don't see how in the future this would inevitably lead to 
are like original authors being ranked higher than non-original authors if it really came down to like blatantly copy and pasting which you know happens sometimes but usually it's just like you know i'll take this sentence and this sentence and this sentence from these 14 different articles and then call it a day <laughs> yeah but it's a great point that john made because you know people think if it's just original i'm gonna uh, it, it doesn't work like that there's other factors what do you reckon spencer uh, you know, I, I'll take what John says as uh, uh, as authority on it, but at the same time, <laughs> I kind of come back to the like, I, I'm yeah, like, yeah. I'm the Debbie Downer of SEO. Where is yeah, this yeah. really a problem in need of a solution anyway? Are are there literally litigious oriented companies running around trying to prove who made what first and if it's legit? I mean, we do have the Wayback Machine and so forth, but I, I just find this whole thing fascinating. Really? There's a plug-in for that? <laughs> like, or a service for that? All right, see it then. Well, finish off. St- yes. Stephen, what do you reckon? I've, I personally think this is one of the most interesting acquisitions we've seen in a long time. Um, and, okay. and, and this is based back on what John was saying. <clears throat> and this, this is why it's... An acquisition, investment. An investment, thank you. Uh, the interesting aspect of this is that most WordPress plugins are focused on the WordPress ecosystem. Very few have the legs to get outside of it. WordProof has the legs to get outside of it. To build this blockchain solution for time-stamping content, you have to have mass adoption. WordProof is never going to get mass adoption by itself because, like Spencer was saying, that's interesting and nice, but do I really care? I don't know. But if Yoast comes behind it, maybe integrates into their core plugin, right? They have 5 million plus installs. Right now, WordProof has what, like 200, I'm on their homepage, 250,000 articles and media files that have been timestamped. That's not even close to the number of websites that just have Yoast installed. So if Yoast can power a mass adoption of WordProof, then all of a sudden it starts making sense for WordProof to start rolling things out to other websites and other platforms outside of WordPress, therefore allowing Yoast maybe to travel on those coattails into other places outside of WordPress. So from an acquisition standpoint, I think it's interesting because it does have the legs to do things larger than the WordPress ecosystem. And what WordProof needs is that mass adoption. Yoast has the power to do that. So I think it'll be interesting to see how this all unfolds. Mm, that's great. Um, Matteo, um, I think we'll go on to the next story. Um, stepping into the market with a major players, Mario Pashev requires WP CRM systems. So what do you think of this one, Adrian? Well, I'm excited. It's the, so, I mean, we're current, currently like in the CRM space, uh, dominated by ActiveCampaign, HubSpot, FusionSoft, Salesforce, Marketo, uh, GetResponse, ConvertKit. I can go on and on and on. There's so many SaaS platforms out there. Each of them have a very specific target customer, uh, some of them larger than others. And way down at the bottom of the list, you'll find me and the WordPress people <laughs> uh, just kind of kind of kicking it in the WordPress plugin industry. We do a good job, and there's only a very few of us. So there's, there's uh, myself, Groundhog, Marketing Automation, and CRM. 
and then there is Jetpack CRM, which used to be called Zero BS CRM, which has been around for a little bit longer than I have, but uh, not super huge like myself either. They're around 2,000 people, maybe 3,000 now since the Jetpack acquisition. I'm around 1,500. Um, and then there is now WP CRM, which has been around for a long time, not not adopted. Maybe 500 people last time I checked. But the 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 fact that I exist and the fact that Jetpack CRM exists show is basically like a rally call to let developers know that these massive companies with Salesforce, Infusionsoft, Marketo, ActiveCampaign, you know, so on and so forth, that these massive companies don't necessarily need to be the only ones playing in the space of marketing automation and CRM. The fact that we exist is saying we can have decentralized CRM and marketing automation capabilities on WordPress sites that is totally compliant with all of the various different legal, you know, hodgepodge and, and compliance around the world with the click of a button. We can have total control over all of our data at all times. We are HIPAA compliant and we, and you know, as long as you're hosting on like HIPAA compliant services and all of that good stuff, there are just so many benefits to decentralized CRM marketing automation. And this is now a rally call to those developers be like, Hey, listen, there is now fresh opportunity here before, before that, you know, before we existed, before Jetpack existed, it was like, it was e-commerce and it was membership and it was LMS. And those are kind of like the three categories of WordPress platform systems that you could have. And now there's this whole new facet and people are going to be excited about that in September the people who create WP Fluid Forms are going to be releasing their marketing automation and CRM products, so that'll be exciting to see. Uh, and now we're going to see what's going to happen with WP CRM systems. So there's going to be a lot of movement in this space in a very short period of time and a, and a lot of investment, I imagine. Uh, the uh, um, awesome motive people have also expressed interest in entering this space at one point. So there's, there's, there's going to be movement here and this is this is the start. I'm a little bit begrudged, though, that I'm still continuing to be passed up to be mentioned in anything related to CRM still on on the tavern. So I guess I'm just going to have. Yeah, to- I noticed that. Um, <laughs> I don't know what you did to upset them, but there we go. But uh, I get no honorable mention. No, I think I think that's a little bit rotten. But there we go. You just have to. You just have to keep on dark horse coming on here, <laughs> won't you? Keep saying it. Um, what do you reckon, Spencer? What do you reckon about this one? WPCRM is a CRM, and I mean, obviously, Adrian understands this, um, but I want to emphasize the point. There's a difference between a marketing automation platform and a CRM. WPCRM does not do automation whatsoever. So from my standpoint, the need for a pure CRM literally to, I want to manage people with like, hello, it's Spence, let's get you that car sale, blah, blah, and move them around. That is completely a different function than... Tag-based automation. And so I think they get merged together because more companies like ActiveCampaign and Groundhog and so on and so forth all do those together. But I often have to explain to people, I say CRM because it takes a lot of words to say marketing automation platform. But what I really mean is marketing automation platform. And that doesn't work out to say a map because then you think I'm talking about something else. So while this is terrific and kudos to whomever is involved, um, 
the plugin itself is, to my mind's eye, very niche and uh, it does what it does, but it's not inspiring and it's not new looking and it doesn't do awesome stuff. So I'm like, great. You know, there's about a hundred other plugins in the WordPress repository that are equally awesome for what they do, but it's not the same thing as what Groundhog is doing, in my opinion, or Active Campaign or WP Fusion or any of that. Those are marketing automation. Yeah, not great. Well put. What do you reckon, um, Stephen? I don't have any strong feelings or opinions on this. I will say um, to Adrian that uh, for the first time this week, I saw Groundhog's name get thrown around in a couple of different server, WordPress server groups that I'm a part of when they were discussing SMTP sort of integrations. So uh, it's kind of always fun to see people out in the wild that you know. We have some boss SMTP integrations, especially our AWS one. It's yeah, freaking it like stellar starting to, to recognize that and realize that. We have uh, so like one of the, I mean, there's a there's a cool built-in function to WordPress, which is highly underused, which allows for multiple uh, CURL connections at the same time. Uh, so you can send out like 50 at once. So if your like send rate for Amazon is like 14 per or 50 per second, you can like batch your emails, if you're doing like high volume emailing from your WordPress site, you can batch that all together in basically one request and have it all processed in one second or half a second or whatever Amazon's response time is. So it's pretty freaking awesome. Some cool stuff there that we do. All right. What do you reckon, John? Yeah, Mario Peshev is, uh, I mean, he's a badass developer. He's been a friend of mine for uh, quite a while. Uh, I'm glad that this is getting a home with uh, Devry X because they have a rock solid team. And uh, they're saying here that the, the, at one point they were, you know, uh, partnering with HubSpot and they're part of their ecosystem, but they kind of went away from that because uh, HubSpot is very opinionated in the way that they, they build sites and, and set up their CRM. But I think that they probably learned a lot from that. And uh, I think that this is probably if, if you are a smaller business and you don't need something enterprise like Salesforce or Marketo or something like that, this might be uh, a good alternative for you uh, to some of the other CRMs out there. So I think it's definitely worth a look. Uh, it looks like it's one ninety nine for unlimited uh, extensions for one website, and then two forty nine for unlim- unlimited websites with all the extensions per year. So that's pretty affordable. So, all right, I, I think um, we'll go on to our recommendations because I don't want this to become war and peace. Um, so I'll, I'll go on to my recommendation. I recommended it last week, and, that, and um, Adrian did a fantastic webinar with Anne Caniel and one of the founders, and it's about Automator. And then suddenly they've come out with a really fantastic, they've got some fantastic deals that are available. And one of them is a, is a deal, unlimited sites, three-year support, um, as many websites, as, and it's a lifetime deal. And it's for $599. And I, I bought that up myself because I thought that was a really good deal. Um, so I've got, I'm going to have the link in the show notes. And it's a really amazing product. 
And I think you should go and have a look at it. And maybe um, they've got some cheaper options. This this was the option that caught my eye. And I snapped it up. So, um, Spencer, have you got anything you want to recommend to the listeners and viewers? Uh, yeah. So anybody who is needing to document, let me paste it in the chat here. Anybody who's needing to document uh, their processes, uh, teaching users on their website how to do stuff, or if they're doing uh, like their own documentation section, it's sort of annoying to make a step-by-step guide because you have to literally write out the thing, then you have to take a screenshot, then you have to edit, then you have to format it, then you have to paste it. So this company is called cursive.io slash scribe. And it allows you to just use the thing you're trying to teach and you record the whole thing and it allows you to divide it up into the user guide. So it creates the documentation from you actually going through using the documentation. So for somebody like myself who prefers to make videos, I appreciate it's really hard for people to wade through hours of my videos when they just want to know what to do, you know, one thing or another. So it allows me to kind of do both, make the video, then slice and dice it into written documentation, which actually could be good for SEO. I'd ask John on that, but it's much easier to get your word out when Google searches through your, you know, words. I've heard. Right. Does it do transcribing to you then? Like, like will it uh, transcribe your voice? No, that's a different product. That's otter.ai. Okay. So right. otter.ai, I mean, I'll, I'll just refer to that since you brought up. Otter.ai is a must-have. I mentioned it before. It connects, among other things, to your Zoom. So, for example, I do my roadmap consultations. It records the audio and video in Zoom. But Otter gets the audio automatically, transcribes it, and I can give somebody a searchable transcript automatically. Super amazing. But the company that created that had a beta, which may be now in, in alpha or maybe in like production, that allowed me to add an hour, two, three, four of my voice from previous webinars and stuff. And it made a virtual version of me and my voice, which scares the crap out of me because I can feed it a transcript and it will just read it as if it's me, or I can take a pre-made thing and I can go in and edit it with words and it will fill in the difference, which is super awesome if you want to fix a boo-boo or something. But it's scary because that means, well, maybe it's not scary. I could just retire and you guys would never know. I just stand here just talking. Like clutch so, I'm, so, I'm so tempted to say something, but I'm not going to actually. <laughs> uh, um, it's whether you just mute me the whole time anyway. I'm not sure. I'm not going there. I'm so tempted, but I'm not going to, to, you know. All right, John, have you got something you want to recommend to the listeners? Yeah, I do. I was watching this documentary. You probably know about this. Probably a lot of other people might not know about it. Are you familiar with the Peasants' Revolt of 1381? They ended feudalism. (laughs) Do you know about this? We're going back a bit. (laughs) I know I'm old, but I'm not that bloody (laughs) Anyway, well, back in the day, this was like really interesting. So it's a unique set of circumstances. Uh, this is when the people of England uh, were still kind of in the, it was in the feudal system. And uh, they were going to war with all these different like countries or whatever. And then uh, the, did, good, the good old days. They did this tax on the people. And then was, so they had a shortfall because their census was miscounted or whatever, or, or people were hiding. 
And uh, they said, oh, no, we got to tax you again, and we're going to, like, come and extract it. But the people were fed up. So uh, this is a, quite an extraordinary story and maybe a lesson for modern times. <laughs> uh, there we go. Yeah, all right. Uh, <clears throat> Stephen, have you got something you want to recommend to the listeners and viewers? Uh, yeah, I don't know if anybody's recommended this before, but AC, ACF front end form for Elementor. Um, yeah. That's a solid tool. I was uh, working on somebody's website uh, this week and they had used it to do some pretty nifty front end sort of stuff that had a lot of power to it to kind of automate some back end stuff as people like submitted support requests and stuff. Um, so, real cool plugin. Check it out. And Adrian, have you got something you want to recommend to the listeners and views? And yeah. do put, put all this into chat, please. So I did a few weeks ago now, I did a, a webinar with Buddy Boss and I just got the recording and uploaded it to our YouTube channel. Um, really, really, really good stuff on seeing how you can scale up your membership community and prevent nasty things like login abandonment or you know lack of engagement, all that good stuff. I did a similar similar topic, but specifically geared towards membership sites with Jonathan. Uh, and the recording for that is also available on our YouTube channel as well. Yeah, and no, I didn't interrupt that much, did I? I just let you get on with it, didn't I? Yeah. <laughs> that, that helps, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> right. All right, panel. Um, I think we've had a great um, round table. We, we kept moving. Um, I didn't waffle too much. So, uh, Adrian, how can people find out more about you and what you're up to? So if you're a small business, you run an LMS site, membership site, or e-commerce site, and you're looking for a simple way in order to start turning around all of those cancellations, login abandonments, and all of the nasty stuff, all the, all the unfun stuff, parts of business, then you can head on over to Groundhog with 2Gs.io. We're going to show you some epic strategies that you can use to launch your funnel, grow your list, and scale your business. That's Groundhog with 2Gs.io. Right. And um, Stephen, how can people find out more about you? Uh, head over to zipfish.io. You can run a speed test and we'll show you how we can make your site faster. Right to you. And John, how can people find out more about you? A few places. Uh, my website, lockdownseo.com, or go to my YouTube channel, search Lockdown SEO or John Lock SEO. Putting out videos about every other day. So. And Spencer, how can people find out more about you and what you're up to? <laughs> uh, over at launchflows.com, or you can have a free call about your marketing automation with WP Fusion uh, over at that website, wpfusion.com. Right to you. And if you really want to support the show, go over to the WP Tonic YouTube channel and subscribe to the channel. Um, basically, I'm going to be producing a lot more videos in the coming weeks dealing with a number of different issues and plugins. This is going to be a feast of content over there. Um, it's already 500 interviews with literally everybody in the WordPress area, some of the top developers, grandees like Corey. There's a load of content over there. So go over and subscribe and feast out. We'll be back next week with another great roundtable show. We'll see you soon, folks. Bye. Thanks for listening to the WP Tonic Podcast, the podcast that gives you a dose of WordPress medicine twice a week.